I'm Liliana. I'm from Toluca, Mexico. And I've been living here in Italy since 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, I came here to study and now I am working. And... Hello, Rosario in Cardona. Uh, so I'm Italian. I was born in Sicily, where I lived like most of my life near Milan. And I moved last year to the UK. I'm a materials engineer. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. Uh, it's kind of like a last last minute decision to have you both mm-hmm. one at the same time, which is, I think, pretty interesting. And it's the first couple that we have uh, in the podcast. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty nice, uh, especially since it's like uh, someone from Mexico and someone from Italy. So I think we can have like very wide, uh, you know, opinion about several things we have like different points of view mm-hmm. which is always better and uh, the first question that i always ask everybody which maybe you know already is uh, how do you drink your coffee mm. so i'll start okay no for me a very boring answer uh, it's a very simple espresso uh, with one uh, spoon of sugar with that i'm trying to reduce just to be closer and closer to the very original taste, to the pure taste of coffee, but yeah, that, that's how I drink. But before you took more than one spoon? Yeah, I started with two actually. Yeah. So I take cappuccino in the morning and then I take the espresso as Rosario does after lunch. But you used to drink? Coffee in Mexico, no. different. No, my you didn't coffee, use it. No, my coffee, my coffee experience started here in Italy, and I remember the first time that one asked me to have coffee because in Mexico, when we, you know, when we go out to take coffee, you go and you stay out like one hour to chat with your friends, and I remember the first time one one person asked me to take coffee. I was at Polytechnico studying, so I took all my stuff because I thought that we were going to be out like at least half an hour. And then we went, we took a coffee, and we went back and I felt so ridiculous <laughs> because I took all my stuff. So yes, my experience with coffee started here in Italy. It's not a bad place to start <laughs> drinking coffee in Italy. It's probably the best place to start drinking coffee. Uh, but you're right, it's, uh, the, that's why they call them bars here, which for Americans is very different. But a, a bar is more like a place to have a, a drink, a cocktail, mm-hmm. something. But here they actually do drink a coffee at the bar and yes. you, you down it like a shot and you go on with your day. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, ten minutes is enough and you yeah, can carry on with what you were doing before. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And what do you guys think about for example, Starbucks coming to Italy finally after so many years. In my opinion, like I didn't have a nice uh, opinion about that. Uh, yeah, just because I think I, I'm kind of attached with our tradition and like having Starbucks here. But I mean, with uh, when I actually didn't know much about that, uh, well. 
just to me it seemed kind of useless but after that I read something where they're actually trying to give like a few like a wider selection to people with good quality coffee so yeah maybe it's not the most I, I wouldn't go there to drink coffee but I mean it's not that bad I mean if you can have a if you can choose in the same bar amongst different kinds of coffees but that's that's not bad actually that's not too bad uh yeah that's it not my not the happiest person in the world i mean i like i like those kinds of stories where like there's this international chain that goes to italy and like invests a lot of money trying to like have a good business there and there's like uh, this old guy that is making the same thing since he was young and like the the chain cannot get that there are a few stories like this in Italy the chain cannot get the business they were aiming at and so they have to close like we've had a few here I remember in my place in Jello where I was born they tried to open a McDonald's and I think it's not a good idea in Sicily where you have all that kind of fast food where uh, people like and it's it's better, I think, objectively than McDonald's sandwiches. I think they, uh, I remember they tried to open it maybe 15 years ago. And yeah, it, I think they had to close it. But don't even remember if they, yeah, they probably opened it and closed it one month later. Uh, but yeah, I think two or three years ago they opened it again and now it's been more su successful so far. Not sure what the reason is behind that. Uh, like youngsters now are more open to these international things, but yeah, I mean, after all, it's uh, it's good to have this kind of choice anyway. Yes, <laughs> apart from my my. Yeah. So tomorrow we can go to have a coffee to no. Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Your espresso with one spoon. <laughs> Because I, I mean, I, I think I completely agree with you. That it's it's quite funny when these brands come to Italy and they try to open. Some of them actually manage. For example, I do appreciate Starbucks now. Uh, the one they open in the center, where used to be the the post office, is mm -hmm. uh, like it's a special kind of Starbucks that there's only five in the world. I know, and one of them is here. So basically, they do their own grounding and roasting of the beans, oh. and then they make everything there. And it's like a special place. It's not like the other star because there's other Starbucks in Milan now. Where you can get your unicorn frappuccino with Oreo, <laughs> right? Uh, so I think kind of like the option of having one or another is always good. But I do understand that. I mean, it's Italy. You go to every corner here, you can have an amazing coffee. No matter where you are, you will find a coffee shop in the corner and a pizza place in the corner that probably makes amazing. Yeah, I understand like for the for the brand itself, I think like the uh, the founder, I think he kind of started his idea to have a have a coffee chain here in Italy, so I kind of understand that it's like closing the loop for them. So it's, I mean, it's a good, I mean, for, for, for the brand, it's kind of a reasonable move, a reasonable move to 
do that and I mean if they can also offer quality coffee in like different varieties that's that's kind of good so I mean in Milan it can work I think so Italy is more important to Starbucks than Starbucks is to Italy maybe <laughs> yeah I think so I think it's like that <laughs> and you guys both met uh, studying at the Politecnico of Milan here right you studied and we met I, I mean, we met on the courses, but one of the main things that we did together when we were studying was taking coffee after lunch. So it doesn't change. Because back in America, you ask a girl out for coffee, you know, but yeah, yeah. not for five minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's so five minutes. Yeah, it was so difficult. I like, had to do everything in five minutes. How did I do it? it went. And you studied uh, materials engineering, mm -hmm. which maybe, uh, obviously, I don't know as much about it as you guys do. Uh, but I do think that of all the things that I've learned around from our one friend in common that we have as well, mm -hmm. is materials is so important because it's kind of like the future of a lot of technologies, space exploration, car design, batteries, everything it's right now going into new materials or merging this and that to make a new substance that has properties that maybe we couldn't have before and you guys are basically the ones that know how to do that even though i'm sure like a lot of people that are listening to this have no idea that this was even a thing <laughs> yeah yeah, 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 right. As you've just said, like, I think most of the uh, of most substantial changes we've had in this series are actually based in materials innovation or uh, processes innovation to get new materials or get components in a different way. Anyway, I mean, everything is made out of materials in the end. So, uh, yeah. It's quite interesting to have that kind of knowledge. Uh, I believe, yeah, in these years we're kind of uh, getting some, getting some uh, new discoveries in these fields in general. Uh, in terms of what we do, I think, uh, I mean, it, it's not always that glamorous. Like you sometimes have to, I don't know, in, in my job you have broken pieces and just trying to understand what happens. So, it's not always just, uh, yeah, trying to create new materials or like that's not not that scientific sometimes. But yeah, I mean, in the end, having that basic knowledge that allows you to kind of understand how the I mean, how the world is going, how new pieces are going to be made, how new components, new technologies are going to be influenced by materials discoveries. That's that's quite that's quite interesting, yeah. Because I always see these things, right? Like what you're talking about is, is a perfect uh, example of, of what's going on. I think people don't pay too much attention to these kind of things because it sounds exciting when you see it kind of like in a documentary, mm -hmm. you know, and then this happened and these guys <laughs> made this test and came up with this new carbon fiber, <laughs> titanium thing. And, you know, but, but then maybe in real life, it was like five years. 
yeah, <laughs> you yeah, see yeah, it on yeah. TV, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like, wow. Yeah. One <laughs> you <know>? sentence, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe it's not as exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's applied everywhere. We see it on, on things that we use. Because you would think, like, as someone that maybe doesn't know what materials engineering is, it sounds like you think of NASA. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think of, like, these materials that withstand temperatures that are crazy or waterproof things and lighter materials for cars and all these things but we use it on everything we use it on cell phones right now we use it on paint for our houses we're using it everywhere we just not we don't realize how important it is so for me is kind of like i want to compare it to design because design is something it's everywhere but sometimes people don't pay attention so much it's just there yeah 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 you're right. I, I think it's one of those fields i don't know how common that is where uh, you actually kind of create the science behind that after you get a lot of experience on it like a, like building houses i think that's been done for ages without having a thorough knowledge of what materials can do what alternatives you have so i, I think it's one of those things that you actually always use without like a thorough scientific basis behind that and that kind of uh, it's probably like science is catching up with experience in this uh, it's probably in these years science is kind of overtaking experience in trying to understand what's going to be made like next so yeah i think it's like for a materials engineer it's also like an interesting uh interesting time to be in is it <laughs> because it's one of those fields that it's currently experimental in comparison to other uh, engineering fields. Mm-hmm. Materials engineering is something that is constantly evolving and there's things that come out every other year. I don't want to vandalize what is materials engineering, but it's what you were saying that is something that we use all the time and just think about when you are in the kitchen maybe some years ago you have this you need to cut some onions and you have this good material to put the onion on and then you cut it and then it got damaged then with the materials we have new instruments that somehow don't get damaged when you are like cutting your onions so at the end materials are also that like the evolution of the industry are like trying to help the the final user i don't want to banalize the materials engineer concept but i think the basis is also like the day-to-day things yeah yeah i think yeah you're absolutely right like as you said there's like this side of materials engineering that is more glamorous so it's 3d printing and aerospace applications trying to make things lighter and lighter tesla exactly (laughs) tesla stuff and yeah there's actually a very practical uh, implication in that so uh, discovering discovering a new material that maybe or like developing a new technique in order to have something that corrodes at a minor rates than current materials do. Uh, it's something that 
maybe it's not that you won't find it on the uh, on the front pages of uh, international newspapers uh, but yeah that that's going to change our life like very practically every day so yes yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting and it, it has I mean it's quite wide the uh, the implications that materials engineering can have yeah quite interesting and what would you say for example now that you both are working and in different sort of actual careers with the same knowledge but doing different things very different things i mean you're working right now in uh, for for mercedes-benz and you're working in uh, aluminium industry for nobelis in aluminium so you guys are doing different things with the same basis but let's think about for example after the second world war when everything when plastic finally became something that we could do <laughs> and at the beginning plastic was fancy and it was nice and we had all these plastic chairs and plastic tables and it was now we think of a plastic chair and we think mm. <laughs> how can we avoid this <laughs> maybe not so nice yeah. right but at that moment plastic was like wow we have plastic we can make everything out of let's just make everything out of plastic and then I remember at the end of the 90s, maybe perhaps, and it was all the carbon fiber, everything. Mm -hmm. And so we had carbon fiber, every, even like covers of our yeah, phones, yeah, we yeah. were making all of carbon fiber. Yeah. What is the next thing? What, or what is going on today that most people don't know about? I think aluminium. <laughs> <laughs> you think aluminium? <laughs> because I'm working. <laughs> we need to reduce the plastic, <laughs> all the polymers. Oh. I think right now, like as you said, like all the plastic, all this stuff. Now we are thinking about the environment, and we are trying to do things that damage less the world we live in. So I think the basic. The basis are on this main topic. Then what is going to be next? So instead of focusing on maybe something cheap or something easy, you are actually also taking into consideration recycling. I think that is what is going on right now. I mean, I, as you said, I am working on the aluminium and this is what we are doing is like recycling and we are trying to do, I don't know if you have seen, but right now some... Like we are used to see the bottle of water of plastic. Mm -hmm. Right now you will start seeing the water in aluminium because we need to really? change. Yes, <laughs> it's something pretty new. I've never seen that. I have seen the uh, water in uh, Tetra Pak haven't seen Lately. that, <laughs> but I, uh, the aluminium Which is... is something that is happening right now and I think like in general like... But I do have seen, uh, you know, uh, straws, people uh, people uh, thinking yes. about stop using these plastic yeah, yeah, straws yeah, yeah. everywhere yeah. and having ones that you can wash, also for restaurants, also for coffee shops. Yeah. So instead of giving you a, a straw that you're gonna throw away after using it one time for five minutes sure <laughs> you can just wash it again and and use it and usually it's uh, aluminium yeah because right now is the 
<coughs> material that you can use yeah, you can because it, yes it, you can recycle like <laughs> forever yeah yeah and that this is something that doesn't happen with plastic because when you reuse it again loses the properties and you cannot use it for the same uh, same the thing same, yeah same application application yeah. yes uh, something <laughs> uh back to your original question uh where you've kind of listed things that have been very fashionable for some time so you've said plastics and then carbon fibers for a few years it seemed like everything needed fiberglass to too fiberglass too yeah i think uh currently something that is being very fashionable i think someday we will realize that i mean it's it's very good innovation but it's not like we have got to do everything with that it's i think 3d printing and additive mm. manufacturing it's very fresh i mean it, it's fascinating uh, the technology and how it works but i think it's one of those things that as as you said as plastic was before and as yeah fibers composites were before it's one of those things that today like if you can do this glass that we have here by additive manufacturing i think there's like people think that's going to inherently give this glass something more actually i mean and that thing actually happens in science as well i mean you've just made very good examples for that uh so what i want to say is that yeah i, I think engineer scientists as well are kind of sometimes we're kind of uh biased by like fashion what is fashion fashionable what can give a good impression of us in case of additive manufacturing and 3D printing, I think like there are like components for which it's very, I mean, it's very useful to do it with these techniques. Something that maybe is not so clear, let's say to the general audience is that in some cases it doesn't make sense to use that technique for like common objects that you can do in different ways. Like it has been done for thousands of years. So. Uh, I think that's something, I think in next year, if I have to make my forecast, forecast is that we're going to see like lots of objects that are going to be made by additive manufacturing where it actually doesn't make much sense doing it in that way. But it's kind of, I think in this moment it's kind of, it's a good thing to say for a brand or for, I don't know, I, I can imagine some automotive brands saying this has been done by 3d printing with some if they have a good marketing department it's i mean it's good to get some uh, good impression on people about that but i mean i think like in maybe 20 30 years we're going to limit the use of that technique for components for which it it actually does make sense so yeah i think it's one of those things as you said that yeah it's going to have like a huge peak in some time from some years from now then it's going to get to a more reasonable level in probably a few tens of years so we're more fascinated by the process mm -hmm. by how it's made than by what it actually is we were surprised by like oh my god i can just make a glass yeah <laughs> in my house with a maker bot exactly. that i bought from amazon <laughs> exactly. and it came the same day because I have Prime, right? Exactly, yeah. So yeah, we're just fascinated it. by the whole process. 
but we're making not really useful things. Exactly, exactly. In, in, in particular, if I can go a little bit more technical about that, as I think it makes sense when you have... I mean, additive manufacturing is great because it allows you to do things that you couldn't do before. So shapes that were impossible or very, very complicated, you could actually do them now quite easily. It's just you have your drawing and the printer is going to do it as it is. In some cases, uh, I've seen like parts that can be made very easily by molding or machining as they have been done for years. But it's like oh, we've made it with additive manufacturing. And like, I mean, that, that's good. Like, it's good to hear that. Like, I mean, you know the technique is it's good. So yeah, as you said, like one of the ideas I've heard about is in 20 years, in 50 years, we won't have any any machining shop. It will be just these shops where you just have 3D printers, you send your drawing and they're going just to produce what you have sent. I think that's never going to happen, actually. It's, it's very nice. I mean, it's, it's the, a funny the dream, is always, the dream is always different <laughs> yeah. than reality. I remember when I first heard about 3D printing, right? Like, I don't know, 10, more than 10 years ago, maybe. And the dream was, first of all, they couldn't print all these fancy things that they're printing now with like filaments with metal included in yeah. them and all these conductive materials and all these things. <laughs> like the dream was like, I just broke the handle from my closet <laughs> and I can print it like now yes. and put it back, a new one because I have this tiny 3D printer yeah, yeah. where I can do it at home. So this this was the, this was a dream, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can make a cap for my water bottle. That is an aluminum water bottle that I take <laughs> out when I go for a run. <laughs> and I can make a new one at home. Yeah, yeah And that yeah. was a dream. It wasn't about building houses and, you know? It, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a bit more simple than what we hear about today. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. That's it, I think. I mean, it's kind of normal, probably for human nature, when you hear something that has so much potential, it's like overusing that for everything. And yeah, I mean, it takes probably takes much time to understand that. It, it's new technology, so you, we actually have to really understand what we can use it for. And I think that it will just be normal to you. I mean, when it won't be, there will be something else more fashionable than that. We will actually use additive manufacturing, 3D printing for what it is actually worth for. <laughs> the two changes I see the most is always the same. Materials of the filament, which is basically what you guys do, and the resolution, which has changed so much. I, I remember the first 3D printing machines were making yeah. horrible <laughs> things. You could make a bowl, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now you can make really, really minuscule little things. And, and people are using them, companies are using them. And one thing that you said before, that is sometimes it's more marketing mm -hmm. than actually useful technology. And, and I'm sorry to say this, Adidas, but here you go. Uh, these shoes that they're making right now, with, they're calling them 4D mm -hmm. soles. So it's like 3D printed material soles under your shoes with shock absorbent and all this. And it's okay, fine. It's super nice, yeah. right? 
but they're just calling it 4D, which, yeah, yeah, by yeah. the way, what does 4D <laughs> mean? Right? Yeah, because yeah, exactly. 3D printing is I mean, 4D. Okay, fine. <laughs> it, it's a name they can trademark it and they can work with it. So it's like it's just marketing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. But do I know what it's made of? I have no idea what it is. Actually, they don't talk about the materials. They talk about the technology. They talk about we 3D print these things in 4D. Yeah. The you fourth know? dimension is the material, and you will never. Know. I will never find out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's marketing in the end. 3D printing right now is fashion. I, <laughs> yeah, I, never, it, it I didn't think about it. Very good applications. I don't want to say it's just marketing. I mean, it does have. I think mean, many companies can use use it as a very good marketing uh, marketing thing for them. No, I, I agree. I, I think I've seen in comparison, and again, I don't think I want to. I feel like I'm playing favorites right now, but like now I want to talk about Nike, mm-hmm. Nike shoes, which. I don't like Nike over Adidas. I don't like Adidas over Nike. I think both are good companies, whatever. But they do have these sh- running shoes. Mm-hmm. But Adidas have the 4D, <laughs> 4D technology. Right, for the soul. But Nike is doing this thing that talks about what you're talking about and what you are talking to me about. They have this shoe where they are taking all this plastic from the ocean. Mm-hmm. And they are 3D printing the top of the shoe in plastic. Mm. Just like these lines, lines, lines. So they're 3D printing the top of the shoe from recycled plastics from the ocean. So for me, for example, this sounds like something I can kind of get behind. Because I do know that that sounds expensive to me. Yeah. In a way. You know? Yeah, yeah. But then it's is they're using the money for getting plastic from the ocean and then okay fine the, the nice fancy 3d printing marketing that they're using to me but they, they're doing something that to me sounds like useful in a way mm-hmm. I, I, I can support it as a project you know it's ec- ecologically friendly mm-hmm. and they're recycling and they're doing this and that and it sounds fancy and okay fine and they look nice I, so it's something that to me has a bit more soul Mm-hmm. Behind the idea of recycling, 3D printing, everything. So it sounds like a project that is a bit more mm-hmm. complex. Yeah, I think this is something, as I said before, like right now we are working on things that help the environment. And what I think you just described perfectly, like what I had in mind, like, yes, they are doing that, they are doing it, they are using the new technologies because they are also fancy to say that we are using like the latest technology but we are also helping the environment we are not not just making shoes but we are using the plastic that is in the ocean that are killing the the ocean species that (laughs) so I think that you just described the whole idea in how you explain it. It's like the materials are going through this, this uh, process. process. Like we need to make the world a place where we can still living in and we will try to do it. 
by using the technology with the materials and what we have done wrong, we will try to do it right now. Props to Nike for doing something that in my mind seems like a, a project that has a bit of, of a back thought and then let's go forward with something that is ecologically friendly and also innovative and like this and that and the only thing that i'm sorry about because a lot of people will maybe go and look for these shoes and it's a very limited quantity okay of shoes that they can make this way so they're limited edition they're not so easy to find but it's an example yeah, yeah, yeah. of something that we should be doing yeah. or maybe not we maybe big companies sh should be doing right yeah yeah it's good it's a good example of, as you both have just said, of matching a few things together. I mean, there is some good income for the company, of course, it's good marketing thing to that. And yeah, there's a very clear goal that helps us all, actually. So, yeah, let's... yeah, I read maybe some months ago that there were some companies that were trying to like, use the tires that are a big pollution in the world because we don't know how to recycle and it's really complicated to recycle because of how they are made. They are doing asphalt, like they have this big project, I, I'm sorry I don't remember the company or the country, but they are using all the tires to make the asphalt of that we are using on big cities and to communicate one country to another. And I think this is like a good material evolution because before it was really difficult to find a way to reuse the tires when they arrive to the end of the, their, their use life. Mm -hmm. And right now, they, after some maybe studies, right now they found some solution that is also useful for us and it's not pollution so so what i understand is this with plastics you talk about you cannot use the same kind of plastic to do the same thing mm -hmm. once you recycle you have to kind of let's say go down a level you go down a level every time you re recycle plastic you go down a level but unfortunately before it's not very profitable for a company to recycle so much plastic into something new but maybe now it is. Maybe, maybe now that should be the, the, the goal. Like, or, or for us as people, just for me, to try to consume things uh, or try to support these ideas of when, okay, fine, we're going to lose a level of this plastic, but still make it something useful mm -hmm. instead of just making more trash. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think you get to a point where like, there's no bottom level. So I mean, at, at some point, yeah, it's it, it's very good to have ways to recycle it. And yeah, uh, I think it does have some limitation, limitations. We can still work on that, but probably, probably like at least I don't have much information on that, but the tendency I see is just trying to replace it where, where we actually can. So you know, I think it's both, yeah, yeah. Like in bottled water. <laughs> remember how they used to be? Remember how bottles used to be thick? 
and you used to take them back to the to the to the shop, mm-hmm. like a bottle of coke. Yes, yes. Right, yes. and they would give you your money back. But yeah. did it happen here in Italy? Because in remember. Mexico we had like the boat of coke, and you buy it, and then when you wanted to buy another coke, you took back the <laughs> bottle, the, the empty bottle, one, the empty, and then you and got the, the new one for a cheaper price because you're exchanging the bottle, mm-hmm. kind of like when. You, People do with beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. But these ones would get washed, you know? Yeah. And then reused. It was so part of the process. Maybe it wasn't recycled, but it was it was a thing that was like, we, we're using the same ones. And then at some point, people decided that was a bit nasty. You know, they wanted a new one. Mm-hmm. And plastic bottles started to become thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And now you can just yeah. crush them and throw them out. And now we're going back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we are changing because we are not going to plastic. We are we're going not to <laughs> right. aluminium. Aluminium. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of a change of topic, but I remember last time we were all together, we talked about this, and I do want to talk a bit about it. That documentary from Netflix, from Formula One. I, I forget the name. I'm sorry. I think it's Formula One, probably. It's called Formula One <laughs> Drive to Survive. Uh, yeah, yeah, something yeah. fancy, <laughs> right? It's something exciting. So yeah. But it did manage to do what it like. It's it's to me. It's like uh, talking about Mexico. This is like a, a soap opera. This is a telenovela <laughs> of, of Formula One. It's like all the drama you want, all the excitement, all the. But I think it's good because we get to see the other face of the sport because usually we are used to see the cars going fast and you can see ferrari mercedes red bull first place and you don't see all the emotions that are behind like what are the feelings of the drivers and the all the people working around them and yes it's like a a soap opera but a real life soap opera which is really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think something that I don't know how intentional that was, but was actually a key, I think, for their success is that actually Ferrari and Mercedes, so the top teams, were not involved in the documentary. So it kind of gave some more space to the teams that are not in the front rows. But I think normally what happens is like you see if you're not passionate you see results it's just always the same teams trying to fighting for the battle and they're like other 14 drivers which what you just read names you don't know much about them it's just ah yeah he came seven he came eleventh it doesn't give like uh, for you it doesn't make much difference in a documentary you actually see that for them it's a huge difference like coming. I mean, eighth or twelve it's i mean it changes a lot for them and like all of that it, it gave some space to all of those teams and drivers that are kind of forgotten unless you're a true passion about the sport and i think if you watch the documentary i think after you watch the documentary and you watch uh, the, the races kind of know who the guys are what it can mean for them to score one point this uh, it gives you something more. So I think it's uh, it was a successful operation for them. It's... I think in a way it made exciting this middle 
middle part of like I want to be the best of, of the worst, you know, you know, like the best of the rest. The best of the rest yeah. is like the fight is even more intense because the other guys are already so good. Yes. Yeah. That, that I just want to be the best of the rest, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember back when I was very young, my grandpa used to talk about all this. You see this technology in Formula One, and ten years from now we're gonna have it in our cars, no? So it, it was more like these companies experimenting in Formula One with new technologies. With maybe it wasn't materials back then. Maybe it was like uh, transmissions and brakes. And then we got like uh, I mean, not many cars actually have that. Like I thought it would happen more often, but uh, ceramic brakes. For example, mm -hmm. we started seeing ceramic brakes, and we were like, oh, that's the future of brakes, right? Then you still buy a cheap car right now and it will, it will never have ceramic brakes, right? Uh, but we were expecting like Formula One is this laboratory of technology, right? And uh, we now finally got something that tells us like, okay, yeah, but even inside this laboratory of technology, it's the difference is so much be between the, the the biggest brand uh, and maybe the smallest brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely <laughs> right. And yeah, in terms of uh, yeah, uh, Formula One cars being more advanced than uh, than road cars are, and uh, well, in terms of uh, Formula One being a kind of laboratory for future technologies for road cars uh, it's I mean it's true in in theory there are actually things where uh, wait I mean for mass production are not viable at all so I think that's kind of uh, in some cases there's a threshold where you can kind of work for what will happen next for road cars in some cases, it's just finding that little thing that won't be viable for millions of cars. But do you think that the difference between those big brands that are really succeeding at Formula One, that they are just worrying about the little things that are not viable, and then the best of the rest, like Renault, mm -hmm. for example, where they do care about those random cars that they sell for everywhere else? And they do, they don't mind so much maybe to be at the edge of technology, but they do care a lot about having this make sense for the the bigger brand, right? They they are making their investment worth it for the whole of Renault instead of someone like Ferrari, which is like making just a little <laughs> difference for like a you know millisecond difference that is just important for the few that can afford something like that? Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a difficult question. I never thought about that. I think it's in terms of what the performance of the team is uh, in comparison to the other teams. Well, it's, it's quite obvious that budget does play a major role. Uh, your, your question is, is quite nice. I think it's, I mean, 
in, in some way budgets that the automotive brand gives to its Formula One team. I think it does reflect what you've just said. So probably for Ferrari, Formula One is like it, it's almost its core business. Right? You cannot think of Ferrari without Formula right. One. They don't sell cars if they don't win. Exactly. That that's it. So it's I mean they they have to they have to win, and in some cases that's also why I I would, I mean it's it's just my impression obviously, but I that's probably why also they give a good part of their budget to the Formula One team. Probably for someone else, just being in Formula One is something worth for their brand. They don't. They are not desperate to win, but well, if they win, it's a it's a yeah. good thing. I don't want to banalize <laughs> everything, but I mean, like Williams, right? They are there for the race, right? Mm -hmm. So I saw another. Maybe you should watch it, like the another film from Netflix that tells you all the story of Williams that right now they are the last last mm -hmm. but you see like maybe four years ago they were in they were the best of the rest or really close to be the best of the rest and right now you see them on the last positions and I think they are there just for the Formula One they are not there because they want to sell like the mm -hmm. the cars for right, they don't even sell cars yeah mm -hmm. they are there for the race so i think not all the team i don't know i don't agree 100 percent of what that they do maybe just to to make trials and then take this technology from the f1 to the production to the mass production because teams like Williams are just there for the Formula One, as far as I know. So I think like a big part of all this technology, all this investment of this engineering is just made for the sport. Right, so, so there will always be this exception to the rule, right? Okay, but yeah. Oh, for sure. But then I, w I would argue that uh, I see it with companies like uh, Rima, right? They're this like Eastern European company doing these amazing electric cars, which they're doing right now the fastest cars in the world. Faster than a Tesla, faster than anything else. Just electric technology. And they just got bought 10% from Porsche. Mm -hmm. Not because they want to just take all this and incorporate it, but because they want to have this guy, this group of people that are innovating, that are experimenting, to be able to kind of, at the same time, do give them a bit of money to be like, okay, go on, but also to, to take, right? Yeah. So, so there's companies like Tesla who was like, okay, let's just do electric and they are doing really well and people are buying them in countries where you can get them, maybe like Germany, maybe like the US, not Italy, because <laughs> there's not so many charging ports, you know, like you can go on a road trip and, and probably you will end up uh, in the middle yeah. of nowhere without, <laughs> without power, right? But but it's happening in other countries and, and then we have this techno no, technology like Rimac that is 
evolving into something that we've never seen. So Porch is saying, okay, I'm gonna invest in it, I'm gonna help you guys with money, and I will take something from that. And then we have Formula E, mm-hmm. which is like electric cars, Formula One, that uh, a lot of people don't pay so much attention to it. It's not really like famous, it's not really known, because last two, no, last week I was talking with one of my colleagues and I was telling him, I don't know why I was like telling him, ah, you know, Formula E. And he was like, what, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, come on, it was also in Rome that there was the race in Rome. And not all the people know that it exists. Yeah, if you, if you remember, we went to watch. If you remember, we went to watch probably two years ago, one of the races, it was in Monte Carlos, is probably one of the most glamorous scenarios where you can have a race. And I think the ticket was like 10 euros in Monte Carlos, like the cheapest thing you can have in Monte Carlos watching the race. This is why we were. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, it's actually still uh, still four from Formula One in terms of yeah uh, appeal on the yeah on the general uh, audience, let's say. And I would say, as a fan of Top Gear mm-hmm. or what was Top Gear before, and now the Amazing Race on on Amazon, whatever Jeremy Clarkson, you know, like petrol heads and like this idea that anyway petrol engines are still useful very useful (laughs) but there has never been this change or will or idea of having hybrids Mm -hmm. in racing because we have had hybrids for a long time the first Prius and a place like Milan, for example, you see a lot of taxis are yeah, yeah, hybrid yeah. cars. And now we're looking all towards the electric future, right? But this hybrid technology kind of starting to get lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably, there has not been a, a diffuse uh, amount of a hybrid vehicle because of that. I mean, there is a lot of focus on the full electric technology. Uh, I I don't know. I think it's kind of what we've discussed before. I don't know. In this case, uh, I have some doubts about what is currently going to be is actually going to be useful and what is just kind of fashion and marketing on it. So it's probably. Uh, my my feeling from my very limited understanding is that probably is that the hybrid technology that you've mentioned would probably make a little bit more sense as a middle step to evaluate whether it's actually good to go for a full electric. I mean, it's it's a I mean, it's not negligible the change from what we're using now to electric. So just going to electric without experimenting this middle kind of technology it's probably a little bit of a maybe a too big step but from my limited understanding there are people in the uh, 
in right. automotive industries that are paid to do this kind of reasoning, so they probably know much more than... I just, I just think about it as a person here in Italy that has lived abroad, and then I see other countries where maybe the investment from Tesla in America makes more sense. Mm. Connecting cities, you know, you can go from LA to San Francisco to Seattle, and you will find these charging spots all over the road. And in Germany too, sometimes. But then in Italy, that the, the switch from petrol to electric is not as easy because the investment is not there. It's not. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not happening, and that's why sometimes I think we shouldn't forget about the hybrids because maybe for these first world countries the change might be a bit easier. Mm -hmm. But then for most of the world. Yeah, the hybrid makes like so much more sense. And just changing a little bit of talking about cars. I remember back when I was getting into computers first, when I was basically a teenager, right? And there was this Monroe rule that like every year processors became twice as fast as they used to be, right? And that used to happen. It used to work out until somewhere in the road it stopped. And it stopped with all computers and with cell phones and everything. And the hardest time we've ever had is batteries. Mm -hmm. We cannot just figure out batteries. It's that complicated. Will we ever figure out batteries? <laughs> But I think with batteries, there are a lot of new ideas. Like you use heat, like you, when you go running, you can recharge somehow maybe not 100% but you like there are many many ideas about the new the, the materials and what we just said at the beginning and what this new stuff like they are trying to make it like like they in general they are trying to give many many options to fulfill this need that we right now have to have the battery 100% charged, no? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I, I think you both like touched the key point if we will actually go into mass production of just electric vehicles, probably batteries are the bottleneck in that. And it's probably not just, I mean, there are lots of ideas as Liliana has just said, lots of possible new materials that we could use and that's that's probably what is going to decide whether we will have full transition or not and it's probably not just the thing if we are i mean if we do have the materials it's probably who it's in some ways almost geopolitical i mean it's these materials i mean i've worked in some electric motors before And I mean, most of these materials were rare arts, so they're rare. It means you can just find it in some countries. And in, the, in many occasions, it was China. So it's kind of, I think it's kind of sometimes more a political decision than technical. So it's, if you, if you want to go to that, you kind of give some power to the countries that do have the Uh, the, the radars in this case. So I think the decision is going to have, can we, can we actually give it, uh, it, it's probably more political, can we 
give China or whoever has these materials this high power in that because after you do the transition you need to be sure that you have the materials to do it and do it continuously so it's probably and batteries are actually probably the main thing that needs to be sorted in some way but do you remember that some years ago we told we spoke about because i think something that somewhere they are working on like the avenues mm -hmm. like the highways that recharge the batteries of the cars i think maybe in usa they already yeah, yeah, yeah. Made, maybe google yeah. did that in one mm -hmm. i just don't remember the special spot where they did it but with the inductive uh, yeah, yeah, technology, yeah, yeah, technology. Yeah. it's like you have your car and when you are going you recharge your battery so it's like yeah, yeah. they are working on it but right that's now. a solution for a problem that we can't fix that's a solution for we not being able to create these long-lasting batteries and that's why a lot of people in the car industry are talking about will we ever see a 24 hours on the man on electric cars because they cannot run more than a couple hours but you, they just can't they can be as fast as they want they can be faster than the petrol car in a straight line they can do whatever they want but they will never or will they be ever able to run a 24-hour race but if this, you are able to recharge it when you are running you will be able to keep it running yeah but we are making the technology hours. to make up for our lack of ability to make a battery that lasts long enough so it's like a patch technology i would call it mm -hmm. yeah i think i you, you, you both somehow have touched the probably the, the point that is going to is going to shift the decision because I mean, is it actually more convenient to have full electric cars rather than maybe hybrid or trying to improve there's probably some margin in improving petrol engines as well. I will tell you why though like think about different places in the world where they don't even have asphalt in their roads. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, again, we're talking about like the first world countries where they are able to put these charging stations and then, yeah. then in the future maybe they will be able to put this recharging asphalt thing that you're talking about. But then for the rest of us, for, for the 90% of the world where they don't have the investment to build even just normal roads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying these kind of patches sound good to me as an outsider, but I don't see it as a solution in general. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Roberto for president. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's probably focusing on the batteries is probably what is going to make difference between this trans having this transition or not so yeah probably some, as you said the patch technologies can work for some countries for the countries that want and have the possibilities to invest in that 
but yeah probably yeah that's yeah that, that's going that that's going to limit somehow the the transition to just those countries probably i i can imagine for uh an automotive industry like knowing that i can just sell vehicles in us and germany and not in uh, like my second or yeah it's probably i mean the it, that's probably not going to make them willing to produce full electric vehicles. So yeah, that's yeah, that, that, that's a good point, Robert. The right thing is also something that not just the automotive industry is working on. It's like we just think about the cell phone. Like they are also working in having a battery that lasts longer than the mm-hmm. version before. Because right now it's important to have a cell phone that lasts forever. We used to have Nokia phones that would last me a month. <laughs> yes, but you just make phone calls and... Right, there's the screens, of course, yeah. and everything. But Thanks. then we, we still care so much about making it thinner and thinner and thinner. But if we would just one year just make it fatter, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> and put the battery from like you know yeah. the same size as two years ago but the new one <laughs> we would have twice the battery but then we still want it thinner so i remember at the beginning like many many years ago that they were going to smaller mm-hmm. cell phones they started with the big one like i think like the nokia and then they started like make them like smaller, smaller, but they were really, really small, but they weren't enough to have like the application. And then the application started to came on the cell phones and they, they started to came bigger, 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 bigger. Because I remember like in the city, yeah. and on the advertising, they were, they were saying like, you can keep it like on a small bag like this not uh, taking a lot of a lot of space and right now it's like the contrary for me it's like really something <laughs> interesting yes. it's probably, the bigger the best <laughs> right now yes yeah, bro the fact you can watch tv on your uh, that's kind of driving yes like the needs change yeah exactly in the, so. in the past you needed to have like the smallest like more fancy and right now you have the biggest because you can do more you can watch TV on your cell phone. Stop. And uh, just to finish to finish this off in a nicely manner, I want to ask you guys a recommendation of something maybe for someone that is coming to visit Italy or maybe for someone that is not something to read, something something to see, a movie, a book, uh, a restaurant. Anything that you guys want, just maybe one thing and why. Something Italian, of course. <laughs> I would recommend for foreigners coming to Italy, but to stay more than one year. Like the people that want to feel the real Italian way of living, the Italian culture, a uh, book. That was a greeting from an English guy that was married with an Italian woman and he wrote a book about 
the Italian ways, the mm -hmm. Italian living from a pers perspective of a foreigner. And I think it's really interesting. So I, the, I could recommend this book. The author is Tim Parks. Mm -hmm. Tim Parks. Yes, Tim Parks. And the book is written in English because it's written for the English people. So it's also easy for the people that don't know Italian. They can start like understanding the Italian ways with this book. And the book is Italian, an Italian, an Italian education. As Italian ways is the other book. Yes, an Italian education. <laughs> this is my... I think after Liliana's recommendation, really couldn't say anything better. So it's, yeah, it's probably a, its second recommendation to read that book. It's very nice. Uh, I, I would say just adding a comment to what Liliana has just nicely introduced. Uh, it's, uh, I really appreciated that. I, I always appreciate having an opinion from a foreigner about how we Italians are. It kind of helps me understanding how how I am seen and how we as Italians are seen abroad. And this is very nice, it's written by someone that has been living here, is married to an Italian woman, has Italian children, which is kind of the core of the book, is like being a foreigner but having Italian children, so it's not being that Italian but understanding completely how Italian mentality works. So it's what I've really appreciated is that I think I've found no common stereotypes in it. So it's things that I didn't even know about myself or I hadn't thought about until I read it. So it's quite quite nice, quite interesting to read, especially for someone, as Liliana said, that is going to move here or live here for one year or so. And there's a very funny episode about that that I really liked and had not noticed actually without reading that is that we Italians apparently, as the author said, uh, we will ne if you ask us for a professional appointment, so if you want to uh, uh, want to visit us at our job or if you want to know whether we are free that day, we're never going to say yes we are, we're free, you can come. We're always going to say we're busy, we're very busy, I don't know. I'm busy, I need to check, I have lots of things to do, I, I really, no, don't, don't even try, don't come, this period is crazy, don't, don't do it. Even though you will be at home. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, it, it's it, you need to build up your professional character, everybody's looking for me and I, I, can't, I can't listen to you, <laughs> can't even do that. So he explains that it was probably around Christmas that I think he needed to send something, so he calls this courier and he said, I need to do this, can you do it this day? And the courier says, I need to check, it's absolutely impossible, um, it will need, um, so the author needed to do it in one or two days, it will need five weeks because everybody's coming to us, everybody wants to, everybody needs us, everybody just wants us to deliver their thing, and of course they do it because we are so fast. <laughs> they need five days to do it. <laughs> yeah, it was very nice. And it's one 
those things that you always live there you don't notice and like reading these things from someone that can appreciate them because he has not grown that that it's well, it was quite nice so good recommendation <laughs> i don't know if i can ask because there's a story about because as we started this podcast about talking about coffee and as Rosario said the coffee is really important for him he takes the espresso coffee and I just say this when we went to Mexico he didn't appreciate the coffee that we have there and I kind of understand but right now that he's living in England he found one place where he takes the coffee because there is an Italian guy and the place is named Il Caffè d'Italia <laughs> and he likes it a lot but there is like a re because in general the coffee that you take in UK is not the quality is not the quality that you find here in Italy and I just tell you Rosario complains about it <laughs> all the time but he found this place where the quality is like the Italian quality and then there was one episode that I would like you to share with them because I really enjoy it <laughs> like I think it's worth it so please so yeah apparently yes. uh, that time so he made me this coffee and while he gave it to me he said oh, it's not that good actually that's not my best coffee so I drank it and said uh, after finishing it so I gave it back when giving the cup back to him he said it wasn't that good was it so that yeah actually I was <laughs> that's not the best you've made for me but uh, yeah, still quite better than your competitors here and yes I said that but actually yeah because at least I noticed that I did got this this coffee and yeah it wasn't that good like my competitors just gave it to you I'll just drink it that's perfect and he gave me perfect Ah, uh, yeah, in order to, uh, yeah, to ask his pardon for this, he decided that I wouldn't pay for it. So, yeah, kind of, yeah, appreciated that episode, yeah, kind of confirmed my, my choice for that specific bar. If you go through Northampton and drink it there, Cafe di time. So, because you were Italian, he, yes. yeah. He, he just gave you bad coffee for free. It's an apology. Yeah, the, yeah. I, I think you understood why this is like a, a really nice thing to see from, <laughs> from behind also, from outside. It's like, for him it's like, okay, it's not good and the other, for them it's like a normal conversation, but he gave the coffee for free. Mm -hmm. mm, it's like not a normal thing from from one that my business is like the coffee and I think that for the English people that go to take the coffee even if it's not good he doesn't give it for free he yeah, did it for you because you're <laughs> Italian you understand and all the culture and all this coffee thing they have he knew that he yes. would know <laughs> yeah so I think this story was worth it and yeah. Just wanted to share it. Just. No, I, I agree, I agree. I think it's one of those things that you only understand. One last question, since you guys only talked about one book, mm -hmm. the both of you. And this is going to be 
different from the coffee story, which I find very nice. A divisive question. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? I like it. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but I like it with Valentina. With salsa Valentina. <laughs> Without it, it's not the same. <laughs> Is that pizza for you? <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's, it's unfortunately not pizza. But, yeah. No. <laughs> it's, no, I don't have much to comment further on that. Just yeah. Pe pe yeah, yeah, people that know what pizza is will, will understand what I'm, <laughs> what I'm thinking. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll just leave it that uh, if you want to know something about Italy, is that uh, the thin line of love ends at pizza. <laughs> right? Yeah. Pizza in Italy. It's religion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pizza and coffee. Pasta. <laughs> <And> food. <laughs> but as we said before, it's like yes, they have like this ritual. Can I say it? It's something that I am amazed of Italian people. It's like they when they go to to have lunch, like they have like these rituals that I say that are rituals. Like you have the, the starters. Then you have the pasta, the first plate that is pasta, and then the second plate, and the main plate, and then you have the sweet, and then you have the coffee, and then you have the digestive, that could be amaro or limoncello, and then you are done. And because something that for me is really interesting that for us Mexicans, and maybe you can agree with me when you have a marriage mm -hmm. the main thing is the music it's like you have to have the people dancing all night long so you have to uh, be sure that you will have the groups like mariachi like banda like the disco music and this stuff and this is like the main topic of the marriage. Like you will have all the music and of course the the food. And the food at the five in the morning, like chilaquiles, are like a main topic. But here in Italy, what I've learned is like the main topic is not the music, it's the food. It's like you have when you arrive before the the bridesmaid and the husband arrive, you have like a kind of aperitivo mm -hmm. with all the people that are stand and they are eating. Then they arrive and then you keep eating with them and then you go to the main room and then you eat them. The first plate, the first, yes, the first okay. plate. And then you have like some jokes and then you have the main plate. So for them, I compare their culture with ours and for them, the main thing is the food for hours. It's like the music to keep people dancing. For them, is to keep people eating good food. And it's Sorry. like really interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's... So if I can make a question, Roberto. 
<laughs> so <laughs> we normally that just confirm what Yana has just said. Normally, if your friends know that you have gone to a wedding the day before, when they meet you, first question they ask is actually, how was the wedding? How did you eat? What did you eat? What's the first question they ask in Mexico? How was it? I, I, I don't know. How I, long did you dance? <laughs> I mean, if you ask me that, I could start saying about the music, like you, yeah, we dance like Timbiriche and it stopped, <laughs> right? Like they, you don't speak about the music, about the food. And if you speak about the food, you speak about the food five in the morning. Like, yes, they brought chilaquiles. I don't know, at least in my experience, I don't know about yours. I think it depends on your age. I think when you're younger, the first question you ask about weddings is, was it an open bar or not? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I will leave it at that. Was it worth Sometimes it? it doesn't matter the music or the food. <laughs> <laughs> it just matters yes, also, if yeah. they made an open bar or not. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is common in Italy and in Mexico. The open and, bar. And yes. and <laughs> but the second best thing. We can all unite <laughs> behind an open bar. <laughs> yes. Forget about matter. music, forget about food. Forget about pineapple and pizza. <laughs> forget about cappuccino after lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Yeah, but for me, it was really interesting to see how people here focus on food. And at least from my experience, we focus on food, but not that much like we focus on music because you want people to be dancing, like we have the band or the mariachi and this stuff. So this is something just interesting about different cultures. We do the same things and it's different to, it's difficult to explain how different we are because at the end in the Mexican marriage you eat and you eat good food and you dance. In the Mexic in the Italian marriage they eat and they dance good food and good music. But you have to leave it to see the big difference. Well thank you guys for this nice conversation. It's been great. It's been really interesting and uh, I will uh, I don't know, leave at least a, uh, an Instagram link for you guys under the show notes. So if uh, anybody out there listening can go and check and check out what you guys are up to and all these uh, Valentina adventures and uh, pineapple <laughs> yeah. pizza. Never. Which is the best with salsa Valentina. <laughs> and um, thanks. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you. That's very nice. Ciao. 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 <laughs>